Is the current performing arts system broken? How is the digital revolution affecting the way we approach our industry? What are traditional performing arts centers doing to try and reach younger audiences? Why do performing arts centers continue to spend significant resources on printed brochures? Are the annual booking conferences even necessary? These questions and more on today's episode of Speaking of the Arts. Hey everyone, it's Mike Epstein, and joining me today are two true veterans of the industry, Jeremy Ganter, Associate Executive Director and Director of Performing, uh, sorry, Director of Programming at the Robert and Marguerite Mondavi Center for the Performing Arts at UC Davis, and the esteemed and highly experienced IMN booking agent, the one, the only, Alicia Mack. Jeremy and Alicia, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Hello. Good morning. Quite an introduction, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, well, you know, I, I was going to say the, the the beginning part of that with those questions, that was my best Ira Glass imitation. I don't know if I did a good job or not. I was feeling it. I was picking up on it for sure. Well yeah. done. Very good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So thanks so much for being here, guys. So, you know, really the theme of today's episode is to question some of the traditional ways in which our industry operates. And I and I you know, there's no there's growing disconsent with the booking conferences, no matter what side of the table you're on, and I think at the same time, it's been very tough for us all to adapt to the to the digital revolution that's taking place. So I'm looking forward to hearing from both of you on these topics and some of the questions I posed at the top of the intro. So Alicia, why don't we why don't we start by having you kind of take the lead here? I'd like to start by having you discuss some of the constraints maybe that you're finding yourself up against by having to operate on a traditional performing arts series timeline. So I'm I'm happy to have you take the lead there, and then, of course, it'll be great to have Jeremy's input on that. That would be great. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I think one of the things that's become the most challenging is the fact that um, for us, booking international artists especially, um, there's um, – there's, it's getting harder and harder with central withholding taxes and visa processes. So in order to get a, a, an entire tour confirmed, it takes, you have to have almost the entire tour booked. Um, you need to make sure that all of the taxes are in, you know, in the proper order. All the CWAs are filed. So a lot of times that doesn't fall on the normal timeline that if we were just booking some of our jazz guys in New York, and um, a lot more factors go in. So for us, especially at IMN, that's become one of the bigger challenges. Yeah, I, I think you would definitely you, you definitely have more experience than that with I do. At one point, we were working with an artist that was based overseas, and it was, it was very difficult for the reasons you mentioned. So, Jeremy, maybe you can interject here. I mean, what is what is kind of what 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 works from your perspective as far as having um a series booked way out in advance and what do you see do you see any change in the future to that or what do you think yeah so um i definitely see a change and and we're i think we're right in the middle of it and i'll come back to that but i think one of the one of the things regarding timeline which is tied to print materials has a lot to do with where, at least where performing arts centers have all begun in a lot of cases, which is originally, you know, 40, 30, 40, 50 years ago as classical music presenting organizations. And so a lot of us, the Mondavi Center included, at the core of our existence is this very traditional 
very robust classical music program from which the vast majority of our donor base comes. And so we have to kind of, we have to meet that audience, which tends to be a little bit older, a little bit less savvy with digital technology, though certainly not, you know, incompetent with digital technology, but a little bit more interested in print materials. And because we're generating so much of our fundraising from that crowd, we have to be really aware of their needs and very attentive to them. And that is really what has held the idea of a print brochure and the timelines that are associated with it in place. But what I've seen in the last 10 years particularly, and it's accelerating, is a move away from the kind of initial fixed season that once you put it out, it doesn't change. And, and how we've responded to that is to, we still do put out a brochure, we put out an initial season, but every year we're adding more and more as we go, and we're putting less and less into that initial release. Do you see that that's a trend, Jeremy, with some of your other, with other California presenters, with other presenters that you're talking to? Yeah, I do. I mean, a lot of presenters um, have also kind of abandoned the whole subscription model, and um, I'm of two minds. We're of two minds of that. I think you you completely throw out the subscription model at your peril because you're you're basically turning your back on an audience that likes to buy a particular way. Sure. Um, but but I've definitely seen overall in California and across the country, um, I've I've seen a move away from the that same idea of toss out a brochure in the spring and then that's kind of your your whole thing for the entire season. People are definitely more uh, booking more as they go. And the, the the other thing I would say about that is I'm there's a real blurring of the lines now between presenters and promoters on both yeah. sides of the equation yeah. and you know we operate in both models now and you know we've seen in the last five years or so many of the big quote rock and roll agencies developing so-called performing arts divisions mm -hmm. so they can kind of reach into the PAC market. Yeah and I think a lot of the commercial acts some of the more indie rock and pop acts are you know on the smaller scale are are looking at um, the performing arts now as places as new places to play so it seems to me like the folks like that the, the presenters that want to get in that game sort of have to be open to to picking up shows later in in the season and things that don't fit into their brochure yeah totally i think if you yeah. so you can learn to operate on a six-month timeline you're you know you can't play in that space Right. Right. You know, I wanted to yeah. go back to the printed brochure idea for just a moment because the irony is that it, in, in some respects, it actually starts with the agents <laughs> because we're the ones who put these, from our perspective, our season brochure together in the summer to go to the conferences, which are then taken, well, not less and less so taken home <laughs> by presenters to then mix right. and match and put into their own printed brochure. So, I don't know, maybe guilty as charged, Alicia, we should be starting the green revolution now and not and just do away with those altogether. We have about 4 years ago we stopped print, printing brochures at IMN and we moved to a um digital brochure on our website. So if you go to the IMN website there's you know the these tiles of artists and in the corner it says create a custom brochure in which you can a presenter can go there and do it um click on each tile um, then it creates a custom link that gets emailed to you. That link has all of the information on all of the artists, for, from writers to download songs, video, bio, um, special projects, that sort of thing. So we have done that. Um, 
I I think that we're constantly having the conversation, like, are we missing people because they're not getting that paper brochure in the mail? And I think, you know, there's always going to be that chance, but I think you have to take that risk because we're definitely headed in the other direction. Yeah. Well, and I was going to ask you, and I was just, at the – sorry, go ahead, Jeremy. No, go ahead. I'll, I'll, come, I'll come back to you. Okay. I was just going to ask, at conferences, Alicia – do you find in meetings wishing you had something in hand, or how is what is your experience been like that? Well, so we'll, what we'll do is just print a um, a roster. It's just text with our logo. It's nothing too flashy, and so we use that as sort of um, the means, uh, sort of an agenda, if you will, as far as sitting down with any presenter. Um, Got it. The other thing, which is cool, that you can do live in a meeting. I don't do it as much, um, mostly because I feel like I never get great internet in the Hilton lobby, but uh, it's, we can, you know, basically create these brochures live in a meeting with a presenter. So if we end up talking about five or six artists, you click on those tiles and uh, essentially you can email the link to that custom brochure to the presenter before they even, you know, get up and leave your meeting. So the follow-up is sort of happening in real time. At least that's sort of what we're what what uh, what we're aiming to do. <laughs> yeah, and one of the things we do uh, we've been doing for several years now. As as I move through any conference or festival or whatever, I just create a Spotify playlist as I go, and then I share it with my colleagues. And then when we get back, we all kind of listen through it and talk about it. And that's been sort of our our version of a kind of a digital record of the of whatever it is we're doing, a conference or a festival. Um, but I was also just, as to presenter brochures, I was just going to throw out a data point, which is that uh, when when I first started working here, I think we were, we were producing and distributing something on the order of 30,000 printed brochures. And our, our initial season launch that just went out last Friday, we sent out 2,200. And for and, and that's just to renewing subscribers. We will produce another one that'll be a, be a little bit bigger run, but you know we're now producing about ten percent of what we did ten years ago. Wow, that's extraordinary. That's great. Well, yeah, that's awesome. I and mean, that's what I was gonna. One of the questions I had for you, Jeremy, is as you go more and more in the digital direction, less and less printed brochures to subscribers. How? What are some ways you guys have found effective for reaching? I guess your current audience, but then ultimately a younger audience that you're hoping to cultivate? Yeah, so so one one element that I think all presenters are dealing with that is that lags behind the kind of digital revolution are ticketing systems. So because mostly because they're the really good ones, the really slick, sophisticated ones that allow you to communicate well to your ticket buyers at any age are insanely expensive. And so that is a huge hurdle if you can't kind of do season subscription sales online, you can't make kind of immediately respond to what the demand is, makes it very challenging. And we have what I think is probably the best ticketing system in the business, which is Tessitura, and we have a very sophisticated ticketing operation. We still can't sell subscriptions in real time. So that there's a, that is another reason why we're still stuck in kind of the paper brochure world, but we're working on that. Um, in terms of younger audiences, you know, for us, younger audiences means 
first of all, it means UC Davis students. They're a really important target audience for us, and that's a very kind of unique type of communication. They're pulled in a million directions, and they're broke, most of them. <laughs> um, so what the offers we're making to them are last-minute, very affordable, and all through digital communications because they're, you know, they're, you're not going to reach them by email. You're not really going to reach them through print, so you have to find a way to reach them through social media or even text if, if they're willing to give you their uh, phone numbers. But we found, we, we found that things like rush tickets definitely work, um, date nights work, things that, that are more experiential than just about kind of sit down, shut up, and stare at the stage. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, can I ask a quick question, Jeremy? Do you think that um, the subscriber model will eventually, or buying packages, I guess that's sort of the subscriber model, right? I, I want to make sure I'm using the right lingo, but that yep. that will eventually just go away. Because I think about myself, you know, I'm 40, um, you know, live outside of Boston, obviously, am a patron of the arts. Um, but I've yet to, for instance, buy a package from, you know, World Music Crash Arts, which is a Maury Aronson's. So I've yet to buy an entire package. I'll buy single tickets for different shows, but um, some of the things that are offered, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's because I've, you know, I've got a, a, a busy life and I don't know if I can commit that far out or, you know, there's always a lot of reasons, but it seems to me like, even I hate to say younger because I don't think I'm that young anymore. But that that model seems to not make as much sense to to the to people that are not over sixty anymore. That's yeah, I think so. To, to answer the fundamental question, I I don't think there will there will be a time. I can't imagine a time, at least at least in my career, when there won't be some kind of packaging. Package buying and package offers that would that will stop making sense. I think it'll always be sensible to certain audiences to buy in bulk and to get those discounts and to have the better access to seats and all those extra things that come with it. What I think is is probably going to happen is the kind of very fixed series subscription model is going to erode as that older 60 plus classical music audience starts to you know since new people enter that age group who are more more modern and more digital savvy. Um, but I also think, you know, if we look at our ticketing data and are just anecdotally looking at our audience, we know that there's a big hole between about 30 and 55 in terms of age mm -hmm. where people like like all three of us mm -hmm. are at a certain point in our lives where we're, we're just not able to buy in bulk and know what we're doing 12 months from now and, you know, with kids and, and early in or mid-career um, so that is an audience that is just generally very hard to reach and very hard to convince to buy in advance. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a question just because I'm, it's more for my own curiosity. Have you, Jeremy, have you guys ever put a show on sale to simply test the draw of the artist, even if it was not actually technically confirmed? <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm asking there? Um, no, I don't. We've we've never I don't we've never done that. But we, I mean, what we we do is just look at. We have to look at like shows, but we've never. Um, I think the cl the closest version of something like that, which we've talked about but haven't done, would be sort of teasing something on social media. You know, sort of like what would happen if we book this artist, but we've never gone that far. Um, yeah. To just kind of throw something out there and see what happens. Right. I guess I guess the term is crowdsourcing. I'm just wondering if crowdsourcing is something that performing arts centers or any presenter or promoter 
is going to try to do more in the future as more data becomes available. It seems like it's not out of the question. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think it's out of the question. I'm, I'm not aware of any real successful models with that. And I think the, you know, our brand at least is about. You know, we definitely. Our patrons are very aware that we listen to what they have to say and we take their opinions seriously. But at the same time, our brand is kind of about. Um, you know, we're we're doing we're curating for you. We're bringing you things you haven't heard of and things you know we know you will like. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm I have, I'm not aware of a successful crowdsourcing model, but it seems totally plausible to me. Yeah. For some. Well, why don't we shift? Why don't we shift the discussion now to the wide world of booking conferences? And personally, I've kind of come to approach them with what I I'll call an optimist optimistic sense of dread. <laughs> They're a, they're a necessary <laughs> evil, but at the same time, I'm wondering, are they a necessary evil? So so rather than start by me airing my grievances, which I most certainly will do at some point in the discussion, so everybody listening, just bear with me, <laughs> I want to hear from both of you. Jeremy, what would you say is, like, the number one thing you most look forward to at conferences, but then what's, like, what do you least look forward to? Um, so, and I would say, you know, full disclosure, I was on the Western Arts Alliance board for almost a decade, so I'm very schooled in kind of both sides of this conversation. Um, that's why you're here. What, what I, <laughs> that's why we I, want the dirt. Um, and, and I, <laughs> I, um, what I, what I honestly most look, look most forward to at these conferences, which sort of my, my version of describing them is death by 30 minute appointments, but, um, how, <laughs> how I, yep. what I most look for, what, what I most look forward to is a very concentrated look at what's happening in a very short period of time. And we, you know, there's a lot of controversy in conferences around whether you schedule your appointments or whether you just browse and drop by. And, the, you know, there's controversy on both sides of the, of the artist-manager-presenter divide on that. But um, what I do is maximize my time, schedule myself you know, every moment I possibly can and try to get the broadest look at what's touring possible. And despite all of our advances in digital technology and communication with each other, there still is real value in face-to-face -face communication. And that—that that is the one thing that I don't think is going to change. And that's the one thing I really look forward to are the, the you know, the, the relationships that you can build at a conference that you just can't do in any other way. Yeah, and what would you say is like one of the least interest or what do you least look forward to? Um, yeah, really the, just the the <laughs> the grind of it, the, the grind yeah. of um, you know. If to be very specific, what I least look forward to is um, sitting down with an artist or an artist manager who hasn't taken the time to understand who who we are yeah. and what the Mandapi Center does, and and in that very exhausting environment, pitches things that are just totally not appropriate. And, yeah. and that's just a, it's a waste of everybody's time. And um, that that I, I hate. I actually don't find a ton of that. I, th I find that most artist managers really do their work and they know who people, who the presenters are, but that drives me nuts. Yeah. Yeah, Alicia, how about you? What do you? What do you most look forward to and what do you least look forward to? Um, I think, well, similar to Jeremy, I think I always most look forward to connecting with my colleagues, um, obviously seeing presenters um, that I work with, uh, you know, season in and season out, um, and also seeing, you know, other other agents and managers. So it's a really nice time to connect and network on um, that level. Um, 
to also to Jeremy's point, the grind. I mean, it's a killer. Um, but for me, I think one of the things coming just insane is the the rise cost <laughs> of it, and that's what I struggle with sometimes. Is it's I realize that it's some it's cost doing business, but um, to what extent? Finally, you know, I mean, to to set up a booth in a conference hall that that whole model becomes is becoming so. It's just incredibly depressing to me, um, and it doesn't seem like it makes great sense. Um, the the meeting with people makes great sense, but um, sitting in a in a booth um, and, and the cost associated with all of that stuff is is becoming a little bit like, hmm, isn't there a better way? And I don't know what that answer is. You know, I full disclosure too, I was on the board of APAP for three years, um, and. You know, I couldn't. I couldn't come up with it, the the answer. Either. You know, one of I had these frustrations. That was one of the main reasons why I wanted to be part of the board to see if I could affect change instead of just sit at my desk and complain. Um, so, I don't know what the answer is. I just have to believe, similar to the the season brochure, um, that there's there's got to be a new, hipper way to do to to, to conduct business. <laughs> I don't know. Has, has there ever been any discussion? You know, one, one thing I would – Yeah. Go ahead, Jeremy. So I was just going to say, one thing I would add, one, one thing that is really from the position of a board member of one of these conferencing organizations, one thing that becomes really apparent when you start kind of deconstructing the conferences is that the, the, there's a there's stratification in two directions. There's the there's the different experiences of artist managers and artists and then the, and presenters. There's sort of a there's a divide there in terms of the approach to the conference and the goals of the conference. And then there's another set of, of strata around resources, around the budget of various presenters, their ability to travel, their ability to do more than just go to a conference. So as you get as resources, you can only afford to maybe go to one conference a year, whether it's California Presenters or APAP or WA, the value of that is, is, is exponentially greater if that's the only thing that you can do. Um, even, you know, the professional development that's offered, the meeting opportunities versus a presenter, you know, someone like, like me who has, you know, we're not a wealthy organization, but we have pretty good resources and pretty good travel budgets. And I can do other things. I can go to festivals. I can go to multiple conferences. So each conference is a little bit less valuable to me. But I really feel for uh, presenters with really restricted budgets and artist yeah. managers with really restricted budgets. And that's kind of their their one shot at getting out on the road and, and being face-to-face -face with people. Yeah. I think when I came back, I totally understand that. When I came back from APAP this past year, I was sitting, you know, talking to Scott, sort of, you know, telling him about my – my experience, and I, I asked the question, you know, does it make sense? Because, you know, I've been at IMN for 15 years. IMN's been around for over 30. So, and and we sort of do a pretty niche thing as far as jazz and world music. So the the presenters that I work with, um, it's a it's a large group, but it's pretty much the same people. Um, I, I rarely sort of go to a conference and find out that there's five or six presenters that I didn't even know existed that are dying to book jazz and world music. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, you know, I posed the question to him. I said, you know, does it make sense to go to APAP for two days, take the meetings with 
you know, the buyers that I do multiple shows a year with, you know, um, and then does it make more sense to spend those resources by flying to the Mondavi Center and then going to SF Jazz and going to Coamboa and going to the Green Center and spending, you know, four or five days on the road and seeing um, these large, um, these large, you know, uh, performing arts centers that I work with. So, you know, there's that question too. Yeah, I'm curious, has there been any discussion in either of your respective boards or when you were on those boards to flip the the paradigm and so instead of agents having to having to have booths that presenters would have booths has that question ever come up uh most definitely it's been it when i in the time that i was on the board um the the concept of doing that comes up a lot of fight wa and the california presenters board but wa in particular there there there's all there's been a lot of discussion around role reversal around um put, you know trying to have presenters experience what it's like to be selling themselves or to be pitching their product so to speak and and the execution of it was always how to figure that out in the conference environment was always the kind of the stopping point of that conversation but there are at WA presenter pitches where the present the presenters are, are sitting down with artist managers and sort of saying this is who I am this is my my model um, so it is there and I and what I what I ended with saying is that I think there's real willingness to consider the concept it's just figuring out how to execute it Got it. Yeah, I'm going to a conference next week, the Jazz Ahead conference in Bremen in Germany, and and it is like that. There are agents who have booths, but the vast majority of people who have booths are actually presenting organizations. So it's a really refreshing, from my perspective, really refreshing uh, conference experience. Yeah, and I went to the the APAM conference in Australia last year, and they had a there was a morning session like that where they sat they paired presenters up at round literal round tables and had artists come sit with them, and they rotated from table. Each table had kind of a focus and a subject. I did one, not surprisingly, on university presenters. It was really fruitful. Kind of how do Australian artists get to the U.S. and how do they work with university presenters? And there was a lot of that at that conference, and I found it very valuable. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, in some ways I feel like this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning as far as the, the traditional PAC present, uh, booking timeline. So hypothetically, I mean, if that timeline didn't really exist, I'm wondering if the conferences would be necessary. I mean, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Face-to-face meetings will never – there's so much value to that. But, Alicia, to your point about scheduling a trip to work with a block of people you do a lot of business with, I wonder if – that might be the norm. I don't know. How many Hard to um, say. agents come? How many agents, Jeremy, come out and visit you during a, a season? Um, around in the course of any given season, I'd say um, maybe half a dozen. And of those, half of them are on the on a tour, and the rest are coming out specifically to do site visits. So right. it's, it's pretty small. It's a small number. Yeah, when you think about the number of, well, is it though compared to the number of agencies and agents that you work with, or does it feel? Um, it's it's a, I would it's a still a small percentage of the total agencies that we work with, and mm-hmm. and not surprisingly, it's the bigger ones that we do more business with and have bigger travel budgets. They you know sure. they, they tend to send folks out to do kind of a West Coast trip through venues once or twice a year. 
Um, the other thing I want to mention too is that the, the the other piece of conferencing that is very valuable is our, of course, the showcasing element of it, and I and that's obviously particularly important at arts presenters because of the volume and variety that's available during that conference. I, I think there's another way to do that than in the conference environment, but that's. Again, I think for for smaller budget presenters, it's an opportunity to see artists live yeah. um, in a very concentrated environment, like you know the WA conference or even APAP, um, and and that to me is a real that's a real challenge. Um, getting out and seeing artists is a real challenge. It's something that we all have to do, or at least should do, if we can afford it. Um, and that's another thing that conferences provide that um, you know if you don't have the ability to travel to festivals and thing, it's a really cost effective way to see artists live yeah do you go to interesting yeah go ahead interestingly enough though interestingly enough though sort of the two larger um events at apap aren't even technically conference sanctioned right global fest and winter jazz are these things that sort of um, got tacked on as a result of the conference, of course, and having all these folks in town, but uh, not. And there's also the, the Under the Radar Festival, too. For that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's what I was going to ask. Do you, Jeremy, do you find yourself going to showcases that are actually in the hotel, or are they primarily at the events that Alicia just mentioned? Um, I almost for So for the Western Arts Alliance Conference, I do almost no showcase attendance at all. And then, but but that for me, that conference is really for us, for all the whole Mandavi Center crew. That is all about meetings, and we do very little showcasing at Arts Presenters. We do very little, less meetings, and almost nothing else related to the conference. And that one is all about seeing performances. And then, in between those two, and at other times of the year, then it's about getting to festivals and things. Yeah, I guess I'm always just wondering because we. Every year it comes up on our end, and Alicia, I'm wondering about your end too. Should we actually try and do a showcase, a, a showcase in the APAP hotel? And my thoughts are always no, because it's such a sterile environment. It yeah. doesn't. I just don't want the artist to be presenting their craft in that way. But then sometimes mm -hmm. you do run into a situation where you don't actually have a, a venue available, and so it's like, do you take the chance or not? But I've always deferred not doing it. So. And personally, I've actually never attended a showcase in the conference hotel anyway, so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, you're, you're right. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty sterile, pretty rough environment to, to showcase. Yeah. In. But, um, you know, and I, I mean, having said that, I mean, my approach is, I mean, I do my homework, and so if there's an artist I'm just interested in per se, I'll seek them out wherever they're playing. But the other piece of it is if, if, if an agent that I work with and that I respect, if either of you were to say, I'm showcasing one of my artists, you should really check them out, they're going to be in the hotel, I would go. And I think that's, again, that's about the relationships versus somebody just nope. cold calling me randomly or sending me a postcard. Yeah. We've got you on record saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Careful for next year. <laughs> Do people still send a lot of, like, postcard stuff before the conferences? I know I always I always get so upset because people, um, agents and managers, some of them just don't sort out the other agents and managers. So, like, this year I happen to get tons of showcase blasts that if they had just taken the time to take the agents off that Excel sheet, I wouldn't have had to deal with. But you guys yeah. just get bombarded. 
Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, is, uh, and I don't know, this could actually be a, in part a function of the, the campus mail system, but I think it's also a function that these postcards and the materials of the conference are sent very late. They're usually waiting for me when I get back from the conference. I get a little pile of them before I go. And candidly, I don't look at any of it. It all goes into the right into the recycling unless it's um, unless it's something I'm specifically looking for because I know the agencies that we work with and that I know, and even the ones that I don't know, will communicate. They'll either call or email um, and, and sort of say, these are our priorities that we'd like you to come to during the conference. So the, the materials are, I find them useless. Yeah. No, that's, that's, well, and likewise, that's so good for people to hear. <laughs> oh, totally. Save the well, time. It's expensive. You know, it takes time. It takes resources. So that's really good to hear. Yeah. I would, I would, I would much prefer that yeah, somebody just – I was going to say, I would much prefer that somebody just send me an email, not, not even necessarily expecting a response, but saying, here's here's the details, here's what I'm doing during the conference, check it out. And that, to me, that, that yield, much more frequently yields my attention and attendance from me. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I, I would agree. I was just going to say I, the same things we're saying with the showcase solicitations as far as printed materials. I, I just don't see a need for these tote bags of conference materials that get stashed in the hotel room. If they even make it up to the hotel room, I don't I don't see the need for all that. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I don't either. I, I I jettison that stuff as soon as I register because that's because I use the app and and you know I kind of know what I want to do. Yeah, right. you know this is the first year when I went to APAP. I, it occurred to me I, I can refuse this big bag full of stuff because I do use the app as well. And it was the first time, and I said, oh no, thank you, I don't want it. And it just felt so like liberating because that's exactly what happens is I bring it up. I have to bring it up to my hotel room, sit there on the chair for a week, and I think I nine times out of ten end up leaving it, you know. And if you see what it costs to be the sponsor for this thing, it's really like it's a bummer. <laughs> and you know, yeah, one, one sure. thing I would I would add, which is something I'm aware of from particularly from feedback from the walk on. It's I mean, one unintended I think unintended consequence of all this is that of this kind of um, kind of ignoring the the chatter from the is that there is definitely a feeling in certainly at WAN, I think at other conferences of clickishness that um, you know the Mandavi Center only works with the agencies that they the people that are their friends and that they know well, which is not really the case. It's sort of vice versa. We know people well and we're friends with them because we work with them. Um, but there is definitely a sense among uh, artist managers either who are new um, or who haven't quite figured out how to break into certain markets that there's there's this kind of click wall between them and certain presenters and that that's dramatically reinforced by presenters who just schedule appointments to the conferences because they think well how how am I ever going to just kind of chat with that person and meet them and and I think that's it's a real struggle for um, particularly, I think, for new artist managers when yeah. they attend these conferences. Definitely. For sure. No, absolutely. Do you um, – I, I was, was, was going to ask you, Mike. I know – I mean, you, you – your agency is, is on the newer side. You certainly were working in, in artist management before you started your own company. Did you, what was your experience like when you first started attending WA? Uh, or or APAP was sort of breaking in like that. 
Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, full disclosure, the initial hurdle is the cost. So it took me a while yeah. to, in July, it'll be five years since I've been doing my agency. So it definitely took me a while before we had the actual budget to register and be a member and, you know, go through all the ropes that way. I was looking at, and I'll get that, I'll answer your question directly in a second, Jeremy, but I was looking at the cost of uh, the Polestar conference this year, just to compare it to APAP. And what I found, I mean, I, I haven't gone, but on the website anyway, it's about $900 for three days, and that's it, not including travel and hotel. But APAP is anywhere from 800 to 1100 to register, plus an additional 800 to 2000 for the booth, plus the cost of having to be an APAP member in the first place. <laughs> so right. there's an yeah. insane and, – and again, that's not including the cost of um, booth materials. It's not including the cost of five nights of hotels in New York City. I mean, I understand there's a hotel rate we get uh, associated with the conference, it's an astronomical expense for somebody who is just starting out, who is kind of a first-timer with the whole scene. My experience with um, trying to figure out who to work with, I, I think I, I think I was pretty purposeful in, first of all, by nature of who I was representing at the time, very, very purposeful with who I was trying to meet with because I knew I only had so much time and so much budget that I had to be, I had to be pretty sure that this organization had the capacity and had the audience for what I was offering. So I think I think that really helped by being very, very, a very, very narrow target market. But it's still very hard. But I would say the number one challenge is absolutely the expense. It's it's really amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know? So. Yeah, basically, especially if you if you can't necessarily expect to come out of it with bookings on your first go around or or significant bookings, like it sounds just extraordinary. Exactly, you have no guarantee whatsoever. Not that there's a way to give you a guarantee, but you have that's the whole you know it's such a big risk going into it. Yeah. So I don't know. Very very tough. So what do you guys, you know, I want to open this up before we wrap up here, which I think we've covered a lot. Is there anything you guys want to address while we're talking? This has been really great. I, I would I would say, I mean, I'm, I'm back to the, the conversation about the, the blurring of the lines between kind of the traditional rigid presenter model and kind of a more pro, kind of promoter way of doing business and the way in which the agency side is recognizing that behavior in presenters. I'm really encouraged by that. I think it's it's um, it's allowing. Um, I think th there was a time I can remember distinctly when the performing arts center in the commercial world was sort of a pejorative phrase, <laughs> and I think that is that is changing. That um, that you know performing arts centers. You know we're never going to be arenas and we're never going to be rock promoters necessarily, but. Um, there's a kind of a meaningful way to play in that space and to have kind of mutually beneficial relationships with, um, you know, more commercial acts, more rock and roll acts that, you know, in our case is really good for our students in particular. And it also is a way to address that 30 to 50 or so audience that we were talking about that's really hard to reach with traditional programming. So I'm, the way that's all changing and the way the industry has embraced um, revenue management and dynamic pricing, not to gouge patrons, but to be very nimble and sophisticated about how we sell our, our shows. I think that's also really encouraging to me. Yeah. Alicia, to answer your question, I was just asking the question, is there anything you guys want to address before we sort of wrap up? Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I missed that. I don't know why I missed it. Um, 
No, this has been this has been really um, helpful. Very, very educational for me, too, to hear um, some of, of the things that Jeremy shared, certainly to, to hear what's going on on the other side is always is, is really interesting. So I'm grateful for this, you guys. It was it was a good chat. Likewise. Yeah. So so um, I, maybe this is a good point to stop. Then I, thank you guys for your time. The only other question I really have is who is who's buying the first round in Las Vegas? <laughs> I'll I'll do that. There oh, okay. it is. <laughs> we should in, in the spirit in the spirit of flipping the script, the presenter should buy the first round. I love it. Yeah, Here's perfect. Here's the greatest thing about Vegas, though: the booze is pretty much free everywhere. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> <Not> Jeremy. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, that'll be great. Well, cool. Thank you guys so much for your time. This was great. Thank you. Great to talk to you guys. Bye. Yep, take care.